Let's open our Bibles and read together um, from the Gospel of John. If you don't have a physical Bible with you and you'd like to use one, there are Bibles all around the building on the windowsills. Windowsills, just grab one of those and um, read along with us. So we're going to read um, John chapter 1, verses 19 to 34. Now, this was John's testimony. And, and John here, that we're talking about here, just to confuse us, this is John the Baptist that we're reading about now, not John the Evangelist who's written this gospel, but John the Baptist. Now, this was John's testimony, uh, John the Baptist's testimony, when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him then, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. And finally they said, Who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one who you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. I want to think about three questions this morning. I want to think about who do you think you are? I want to ask the question, who do you think Jesus is? And then, who does Jesus think you are? Who do you think you are? Who do you think Jesus is? And who does Jesus think you are? Sometimes when you go to a football match, you hear the fans chanting at one another, who are you? Who are you? It's a chant that they chant to another team or um, another set of supporters. It's not 
meant as an interrogative question. Who are you? Where are you from? On the other side of the terraces. It's actually more of a, a put-down for the opposition. The inferred answer, I think, to that question, as it's chanted at football grounds, is, you are no one. <laughs> you are useless. You are inferior to us. Who are you? And then there's the BBC genealogy program, Who Do You Think You Are?, where they take a famous person and the researchers go away and they research their genealogy and they look down and they see who they have descended from. And I read about a few um, celebrities that were chosen for the program. The researchers went away and found that their past was far too boring and didn't make a program about them. But one program that they did keep was of Danny Dyer, the archetypal Cockney geezer, Danny Dyer, who, when his past was researched, it was discovered that he was a distant descendant of Edward III, who was 22 times his great-grandfather. So he looked at this scroll, Danny Dyer, and in his Cockney accent, which I am not going to try to emulate, he said, so Edward III is at the top of the scroll, and Danny Dyer is at the bottom of the scroll. It's crazy, isn't it? It's, it's unbelievable that I descend. I come from Edward III. Who do you think you are? The question is asked of this genealogical program. Identity, of course, is a big issue these days. Identity politics and the issues of identity of who we are. We determine the answer to that question in many ways. Uh, we determine who we are through our own self-assessment as we um, assess ourselves, but also we take a lot of cues and clues from what other people say about us or how we interact with other people to decide on who we are. So if we ever had a teacher or we had a parent who told us that we were worthless or that we would amount to nothing or that we um, did not count for much or we, we take in the plethora of messages around us that are fed to us to determine who we are. We do that through our own self-assessment but we also do it through reading signals and comments from other people and that affects us. I was thinking about the character Jean Valjean in Les Miserables, for those of you who've seen that story of a man's struggle for forgiveness. Jean Valjean in Les Miserables is convicted and imprisoned for stealing a loaf of bread that he wants to use to feed his struggling family. And in one of the songs of the musical, he asks the question, who am I? Who am I? And he says, I am... I am Jean Valjean, as, um, as Javert, the law, the, the, the policeman, chases him down. And uh, the whole play, really, the whole musical, is about this conflict between law and grace, between punishment and forgiveness and redemption. And he sings this song and he says, Who am I? I am Jean Valjean. Who am I? And then he refers to himself as the prison number that is stamped on his arm, I am 24601. That's who I am. I am a slave. I will always be a slave. I am Jean Valjean. I am 24601. 
what is John's view of himself, John the Baptist? Because this question is asked of him, who are you? Who are you? What are you doing, John, baptizing all these people? As the team of investigators come from the Jerusalem, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, they send a team, who is this guy? What is he doing in the wilderness? Why is he baptizing people? Now, this was John's testimony, we read in John 1.19, when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He didn't fail to confess. He, he wasn't backwards and coming forwards. He confessed freely. I am not the Messiah. They were waiting for a Messiah, a, an anointed one of God, someone would, who would save the Jewish people from the oppression of the Roman Empire. The people were waiting. And John said, I am not Hey, I am not the Messiah. So they, they still want to know, who are you? Are, are you Elijah? And he said, I am, I am not. Are you the prophet? No, I am not. You see, John was an outlier. He, he is teaching about the Messiah in the wilderness, made the Jewish authorities nervous. So they sent this team to find out who he was. Most people believed that a Messiah was coming to rally Israel, to throw off Roman oppression. And at the end of the Old Testament in Malachi 4, we read about one like Elijah who is going to come, a prophet like Elijah, who would be the forerunner of the Messiah. It's in, it's, it's in prophecy right at the end of the Old Testament, the last words of the Old Testament, the last words of Malachi 4, that Elijah will come and he will be the forerunner. He'll come ahead of the Messiah. He'll tell you that he's coming. And so they say, if you're not the Messiah, are you Elijah? Are you the one who was supposed to come and announce the coming of the Messiah? And John said, no, I'm not. Now, are you the prophet then? And with that, they're referring to Deuteronomy 18, which speaks of a prophet like Moses who will come and will announce the day of the Lord, the coming of the Messiah. Are you the prophet then? If you're not the Messiah and you're not Elijah, are you the prophet that we read about in Deuteronomy 18? And John says, no. And ultimately, John says of himself, I am no one special. I am no one great. And later in John's gospel, we read John the Baptist's words, he must increase, but I must decrease. Jesus, he must increase. It's all about him. Me, I'm just a sideshow. I must decrease. This is what John says about himself. And C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says about humility, do not imagine that you meet a really humble man do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. And the biggest step too, and at least nothing whatever can be done before it. If you think that you are not conceited, it means that you are very conceited indeed. 
writes C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. Rick Warren, in his book, The Pope's Driven Life, said, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. And Tim Keller looks at um, John the Baptist's response to the question of, who are you? And he says, I am not the Messiah, I'm not Elijah, I'm not the prophet, I'm just, I'm just a voice. I'm, I'm not important in this scenario. And he asks the question of John the Baptist, why is he so self-forgetful? Why is he so not taken up with himself? Why does he have such a low opinion of himself in some ways, John the Baptist? And he says one of two reasons. Either firstly because he has looked deeply at himself and knows how flawed he is and knows himself for who he truly is. Or he's not looking at himself at all. He's looking at Jesus. He's looking at the Messiah. But he is ultimately self-forgetful. And John says in the end, when they push him and press him with the question, who are you? He says, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. He's quoting there from Isaiah chapter 40. And he says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. If we read on in Isaiah 40, um, verses 3 to 5, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places are plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So that's what John is referencing. He says, I'm just a voice of one crying in the wilderness. I'm here to prepare a way for the Lord. Jesus, we have been thinking about these last few weeks. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Logos. He is the Word. John says, I'm not the Logos, but I am a voice pointing to the Logos, pointing to the Word of God. I am a witness here to tell you about someone greater. I have found out over the years as I have ministered at various weddings, the harsh and brutal reality that no one is very much interested in me or what I have to say at a wedding. And when I say not very much interested, I mean not interested at all. They are not there to hear my sermon. They are not there to praise my suit. They are there to see the bride and the groom. My job as a minister is to facilitate it, to get out the way, to lead them through the process. But all eyes are on the bride and the groom. Nobody's interested in what I'm doing on my job. John said of himself, I am not of great consequence. I am a voice. I am a witness. I am crying out in the wilderness, but I am preparing the way of someone much greater than I am. I want to point you towards him. I want you to see him. I want you to see his glory and his grace. He is the main attraction. I am the sideshow. I remember going to a concert once, and um, it was a guitarist came out, and I thought, this is great. The lights were great, and the music was great. It was at another level kind of, of professionalism, and uh, it just was, he had such a good voice. And I thought, this is fantastic. Like, this is kind of really impressing me. But he was just a warm-up act. And I think I was going to see the cause at the time, the Irish family band. 
And then, after his warm-up act, the curtain just fell. Bang. The lights came on. Whoosh. And the chords came running out. And they all started playing. And it was another level. He was just the warm-up act, this guy. I thought he was great. I was really enjoying his guitar and his singing. He was fantastic. Some of the best I've heard. But when the curtain fell and the lights went up, it's like, wow, the main act is here. This is amazing. And that's what John was doing. That's what John said of himself. Who am I? Who am I? I am no one of great consequence. There's a, a wonderful kind of humility and self-forgetfulness about John that we can all learn from. Which leads us to the second question that we're asking this morning is, who do you think you are? But who do you think Jesus is? Who do you think Jesus is? This great prophecy of Isaiah that John quotes from a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That's what John says he is doing. He's quoting directly from Isaiah 40, which uses the term Yahweh, the Lord, God. I am here to prepare the way for God, for the Lord God, Jesus Christ, Yahweh, the Lord God. I am that voice. Prepare the way for the Lord John is saying that Jesus is the Lord, that Jesus is God. What does John say about Jesus? He says that he is God. He also speaks of the absolute worthiness and greatness of Jesus, who he is, and how they don't know. John says, you don't know who is standing among you. You don't yet see him. You don't comprehend him. Remember our earlier verses where we said that the light came into the darkness, but the darkness did not overcome it, or the darkness did not comprehend it. The darkness did not sense. People did not sense who Jesus was or what he was there to do or his greatness or his glory or that he is the light of the world. And John said, he said when he was being questioned by this interrogative team, he said, I am baptizing with water. I am, he was baptizing people in the Jordan River as a sign of repentance and cleansing. But among you stands one who you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. There were strict laws in Israel about what masters could demand of their slaves. There were lines in the sand. And taking the sandals off someone's filthy feet at the end of the day was a line too far. No Jew was allowed to ask a fellow Jew to take the sandals off their feet. It was verboten. It was forbidden. Not allowed. That was too low to go. You couldn't go that low to ask someone to take the sandals off your feet. And the rabbis, they had disciples, and the disciples would follow the rabbis around, the rabbis, the teachers, the masters, as they were known, and they would have followers. And these disciples, they would do everything for their rabbi. They would serve them. They would prepare food for them. They would do everything. They would, but they were not allowed to take the sandals off the rabbi's feet. That was too low to go. And John said, there is someone coming after me I am not even worthy. Never mind going too low. That's not low enough. It's not low enough. I am not worthy to untie his sandals. 
He is that great. He is so awesome. He is God. And I am not worthy to stoop that low. That's who we're talking about, John says. He's the Messiah. He's the one that is going to come. And John sees Jesus for who he is. And he says he is so much above me, he's so much greater than me because he preceded me. The one that comes after me is above me and preceded me. He was before me. He was in, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And this is the one I meant, John says, in verse 30 onwards, when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen him, and I testify that he is God's chosen one. That's what John said about Jesus. He is God. And he is God's chosen one. He is the Messiah. I'm baptizing now with water. That's a baptism of cleansing and repentance. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with power. He will pour power into your life and he will show you his glory. So why are you baptizing, the interrogators asked John. Why why are you doing this? Because baptism was a cleansing ritual, and it was preserved only for Gentiles who were converting to the Jewish faith. Jews were not baptized in water. It was a ritual that was preserved for people, Gentiles that were converting to Judaism. They would be taken into the waters of baptism, and they would be cleansed, ceremonially cleansed. So the the Jewish leaders of the day come to John and say, why are you baptizing everyone, men and women, Jews and Gentiles, what are you doing this for? John is pointing to the fact that Jews and Gentiles, males and females, that they all need forgiveness, that they all need cleansing. But he is just the forerunner, the one who has come to prepare the way, and he uses water as a symbol of this cleansing, but Jesus will cleanse and purify and change lives by the power of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. John is saying, we're all unclean, and we all need to repent, and we all need salvation. Everyone is a sinner saved by grace. He carries out these cleansing rituals and calls for people to repent, but then he points to Jesus, and he says, look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, Now, of course, there's there's great symbolism here in John's language. We have to go all the way back, as many as are aware of the Exodus story and of the the judgment of God upon the Egyptians and of the, the threat that the firstborn in all the land was going to be killed by the angel of death who would pass over them. And the command came that we are all guilty, the Jews and the Egyptians, they would still suffer under this judgment of God unless, Moses said, you need to take the the blood of a lamb and you need to daub it on your doorposts and lintels and 
and you need to do this so that when the angel sees the blood of the lamb, he will pass over you and not kill you, not kill your firstborn. And John says, look at the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Isaiah 53, the prophet writes of a suffering servant pointing to Jesus also. And he says he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He is referred to in the Bible, Jesus, as the Passover lamb. He is our lamb. He is the one that ultimately will cleanse us. John says, I'm baptizing you with water. I'm seeking this baptism of cleansing and repentance, but I am pointing to one who will ultimately forgive you of all of your sins. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John gets it. He says, look, look. (laughs) Fix your eyes on him, not on me. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the one that will forgive you and cleanse you. He is the Lamb that has stooped down the greatest, the strongest that has become weak. John says of himself, I am no one special, but he is the greatest in the world. He will forgive you. He will cleanse you. He will fill you with his Holy Spirit. This is who Jesus is. Who do you think you are? Who do you think Jesus is? But who does Jesus think you are? There's an interesting disconnect in this story, in some ways, between what John says about himself And what Jesus says about John, are you the Messiah? Nope. Are you the prophet? Nope. Are you Elijah? Nope. But what does Jesus say about John? In Matthew chapter 11, verses 7 to 11, as John's disciples were leaving Jesus, they come to speak to Jesus. John disciples, his followers, John the Baptist, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Are you he? And as they're leaving, after talking to Jesus, Jesus turns to the crowd and he starts to speak to them about John the Baptist. Who did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus says about John, among those born of women, now that's quite a large category, isn't it? (laughs) Who here has not been born of a woman? Quick check. No Martians in theirs? Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. And then later in Matthew, in Matthew 17, verses 10 to 13, this is what Jesus says. The disciples asked him, why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, 
Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. Are you Elijah? (laughs) They say to John, nope. (laughs) Are you Elijah? Nope. And Jesus says, this was Elijah. This was what the prophet was speaking of. This was the one who would come and prepare the way of the Lord. He was a prophet. He was the Elijah who was to come to prepare a way of the Lord. John is so self-forgetful, so self-deprecating, but Jesus says, there's no one greater that has lived than John the Baptist. He is the prophet. He is the Elijah that was to come. He did come to prepare the way of the Lord. What does Jesus say about John? That's what he says about him. Among those born of women. I do not know who you say you are, what your perceived self-identity is. Maybe you did have a parent or a teacher who told you you were useless, worthless. Maybe you have told yourself many things and judged yourself harshly. I am no one special, but who does Jesus say you are? In our reading from Matthew 11, we didn't quite finish the sentence. Let's read it again and finish the sentence. Matthew 11, verse 11. I tell you the truth. Of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. If you are in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. You see, John was great because he grasped the greatness of Jesus. He says how great and how awesome Jesus is. But, says Jesus, any and every believer in me, those in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven, can understand Jesus more than that and live in the reality of his greatness and his power in our lives. When Jesus looks at the Christian believer, he sees someone who is forgiven, and he sees someone who is cleansed, and he sees someone who is right with God. You have all of heaven and all of heaven's resources at your disposal. You are a child of God. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. John was great, but the least believer, Jesus says, is greater, has all of the resources of heaven at their disposal, has the Holy Spirit living within them. We have this power within us if we are followers of Jesus Christ. We are the confessing church. With God's power and kingdom flowing through us, we can become a voice too. Prepare the way of the Lord. Jean Valjean in Les Miserables ultimately does find redemption from the law and he finds grace and forgiveness. And he is no longer 2, 4, 6, or 1. 
He sings, he says, my soul belongs to God, I know. I made that bargain long ago. He gave me hope when hope was gone. He gave me strength to journey on. So we fix our eyes on Jesus because he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Who do you say you are? Who do you say Jesus is? But most importantly, I think, who does Jesus say you are? You can be a child of God. You can be greater than John the Baptist and hopefully a self-forgetful. Shall we pray? Lord, we have so many views of ourselves and views of other people. But this morning we want to fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the author of our faith, the finisher of our faith. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I pray this morning that we would place our hand in yours, Lord Jesus. That we would receive that ultimate cleansing and forgiveness that comes from the Lamb who shed his blood for us. I pray like John the Baptist that we might decrease and he might increase. I pray that we too would be a voice, that we would not be reticent in confessing as John was not reticent, but confessed boldly. Help us, God, to be those self-forgetful people who think not less of ourselves, but think of ourselves less. And who fix our eyes on Jesus. If there are those here this morning that don't know you, that don't know that relationship with you, I pray that you would draw them into that relationship with you, that they would give their heart, their life to you, confess their sins before you, and let you be their saviour, their redeemer, their lord. I thank you, Jesus, that you came for that reason, that you became flesh and lived among us. We say that you are God. We say that you are the Messiah. We say that you came to save us. And we, every minister, all of us, every believer, we are but pointers of voices crying out, this is the way of the Lord, this is the Lord. He is the one who's sandals we are unworthy to untie. I pray that, Lord, we would know him, we would love him, and we would glorify him for the rest of our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.